Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at cccLife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, Several weeks ago, Sue and I spent a few days down in Florida, and one evening we went out to dinner with a couple really good friends of ours who used to be on staff at Christ Community Church. And so it was a a beautiful, sunshiny Florida evening, a really cool restaurant. It's a fish place where one entire wall was a fish tank uh, floor to ceiling, so you got a chance to watch the fish swimming around while while you you were eating their cousin or whatever. And to to have a wonderful conversation, rich conversation with dear friends. Uh, But I was not entirely happy. Uh, I have this problem when ordering food at a really nice restaurant. Uh, The problem begins when I open the menu and I see all the wonderful choices in front of me, and I can't make up my mind. Uh, So usually I'll call a wait staff over and I'll start asking questions. And I ask lots of questions. Like, is this one better than this one? And what's the most popular thing on your menu? And, you know, what's got bulk because I'm into lots of food? And is there anything spicy because I dig spicy stuff? And usually by the time I order the waitstaff, they're rolling their eyes. I just get with it, dude. So I ordered my meal. And then when my meal came, this is when the problem really heats up because I never like what's on my plate as much as I like what's on everybody else's plate. You, you run into this? So, you know, here I've got this, I've got this uh, jerked swordfish on my, my plate, the spicy dish I asked for, but I'm looking over at Sue's Parmesan-crusted grouper. And being the kind wife that she is, she says, honey, you want a bite? And I said, yeah, yeah. And so I ate bite after bite. So while my swordfish grew cold, I ate her, her grouper. Please tell me you can identify with this. Some of you out there, right? Okay. And what it comes down to is sometimes I'm just not as grateful for what's on my plate as I'm envious of what's on other people's plates. Well, I can assure you that Jim is exaggerating his problem just a little bit to make a point. You see, the struggle that Jim faces at a nice restaurant is a struggle that we all face in a more general way. Right? We often go through life wishing we were enjoying some other period of time rather than being thankful for the present. Thankful for the present. And our lack of gratitude undermines our happiness. Welcome to the final week of a three-part series, The More I Think, The Better I Feel. The More I Think, The Better I Feel. Today, Jim and I are teaching about gratitude in the present. Gratitude in the present. Our textbook for this series has been the New Testament epistle of Philippians. So find Philippians in your Bible. I invite you to do that and to take out your sermon outline and fill it in as we go along. Gratitude in the present. Since this is Mother's Day, let me begin describing the temptation that many women face, at least I know I have faced, and that is to be ungrateful in the present, to be ungrateful. It begins when you're single, and your single friends start settling into relationships with guys. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, I want to go on a date. I want to get engaged. I want to get married like she is. I'll be happy when that happens. Well, marriage happens, and your peers start having babies, and the pressure is on. 
I can remember my prolific sister-in-law having one, then two, then three babies before we could even start our family or before I even knew if I could get pregnant. And I thought, I'll be happy if I can have a family. Well, it doesn't take long into the baby and toddler years to become majorly discontent and you say, if only I could get one night of sleep, right? <laughs> Just five hours in a row would be a dream, literally a dream. If only I could have an adult conversation that's not interrupted or read a book. No, just a chapter of a book. If I could go on a date with my husband or have some time for myself. If only my kids were potty trained and I could say goodbye to diapers, then I'll be happy. Well, the kids grow and they become adolescents. And the small problems you had with them when they were in the preschool years sometimes pale in comparison to the challenges you face now. I remember thinking, I am sick of driving these kids everywhere. I'll be happy when they learn to drive. I am tired of them challenging me at every turn. Won't it be great when they're out of the house? And then one day they are, and you miss them. Ah, but sometimes they boomerang back, and they live with you for a couple of years, and you go, what was I so sad about back then? No, I really do want them to launch, right? You get the point. You see how it works? Instead of giving thanks in the present season of life, which would lead to happiness, we are frequently wishing for the next stage of life, which produces a discontentment. In today's scripture text, Philippians 4, 10 to 13, we're going to look at four factors that often cause us to be discontent with the present. Four factors that cause us to be discontent with the present. But Paul demonstrates that if we'll determine to thank God, in spite of these four factors, we'll experience true contentment and happiness. Get it? Good. I had to get that in before Jim did. I'm going to steal that back later. All right. So gratitude in the present begins when we understand it's regardless of my friends. So that's your your first blank to fill in, regardless of my friends. I must learn to thank God in the present, regardless of my friends. Now, before I read the first two verses of today's scripture text to you, let me remind you of the historical context of this New Testament epistle of Philippians. Uh, Paul had visited the city of Philippi in ancient Macedonia, current day uh, Greece, on his second missionary journey. He had wandered through town, and sharing the good news about Jesus with people, many people had responded, had surrendered their lives to Christ, and with this nucleus of people, Paul had begun a church. So it is now some years later, and Paul is writing them a letter. He's writing them a letter from prison. And as I told you a couple weeks ago when we opened the series, we're not quite sure what city he was in, what prison he was in, because Paul spent a fair amount of time in jail for preaching the good news about Jesus. And back then, when you were in jail, Okay, you were in jail on your own dime. The state didn't pay for your meals, didn't pay for your prison clothes, didn't pay for, pay for your bed. So you either had family and friends who provided those things or you did without. So fortunately for Paul, he had just received a gift from the Philippians. And this allowed uh, him to meet his needs. So the purpose of his letter, it's a thank you letter. He's writing to say, thank you, thank you, I so much appreciate your gift. Now, the Philippians had been supporters of Paul from a long time back. In fact, the minute 
they put their trust in Jesus, began to follow Jesus, they started to support Paul's ministry because they knew what, what Jesus had done for them. They wanted the message to go far and wide, so they began to financially support him. But somewhere along the way, they stopped giving. They stopped giving, and Paul had no idea why. Okay, did they stop giving because, you know, we know that the Philippians were dirt poor. Did they stop giving because they didn't have any money to give anymore? Or did they stop giving because they lost faith in Paul's mission? They were no longer supportive of, of what he was doing. Did they, did they stop giving because they were spending their money on themselves instead of giving it away to the Lord's work? Did they stop giving because Paul was on the road and they had no idea where he was? So how could they send him a gift when they didn't know where he was? So we're, we're not quite sure why they stopped giving. But one day, Paul's sitting in jail, and a dude by the name of Epaphroditus shows up, a Philippian named Epaphroditus, and he says, Paul, I found you. I've got a gift from the Philippians. And so Paul is overjoyed that the Philippians have begun to support him again. And this is why he writes the letter. Philippians chapter 4 uh, let's begin at verse 10. Let me read verse 10 to you. And by the way, always note the headings over the passage you're about to read. So in my Bible, it says, thanks for their gifts. Okay, thanks for their gifts. This is a thank you letter. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but I'm sure you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Now, please note the theme of our current series in these opening verses. The, the theme being the close relationship between uh, gratitude and joy. The close relationship between giving thanks and experiencing happiness. So Paul's writing a thank you letter, and his opening line is... You know, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. So his thanksgiving had led to rejoicing, to joy. But, but here's something else I want you to note in these verses. Paul was determined to give God thanks even during the time when his buddies, the Philippians, weren't sending their support. Even when Paul had no idea why their support had dried up. But instead of believing the worst about these friends, Paul chose to believe the best about them. I mean, look at the second half of verse 10 again. Paul says, you know, I'm sure you, you were concerned. Of course you were concerned. But you, you had no opportunity to show it. You, you follow what he's saying here? Even though I have no idea why you stopped giving for a while, I'm sure you guys had a good reason. He is putting the best possible interpretation on things and he's saying in a sense you know and I've I've never stopped thanking God for how he's continued to meet my need so here, here's the the lesson for us friends we've got to give God thanks in the present regardless of our friends we got to give God thanks in, in in the present regardless of what our friends are doing or not doing for us in the moment you get it good I got it back so now, when I say that, when I say, you know, regardless of what our friends are doing or not doing for us, I got two kinds of friends in mind, two categories of friends. First, there are those who aren't giving me what I need. Those who aren't giving me what, what I need. And maybe you're unhappy today with some friends, some family members in your life because they're not giving you what you need, what you think you deserve from them. 
Maybe you're a grandparent, and it's been a, a really long time since you've had a visit from the grandkids. Okay, may, maybe you got a best friend, and they forgot your birthday recently. Okay, may, maybe you got a dad who travels a lot, and you're in school plays, or you're on a baseball team, and he misses. He misses your plays, and he misses your ball games. Maybe you were mowing your lawn this week and you know that spring grass is so tall and thick and your mower conked out and you went to your neighbor and said, can I borrow your mower? And he said, yeah, I really don't lend my mower out. Maybe you just completed an assignment for a boss and you knocked the project out of the park and you're waiting to hear some kudos. You're waiting to get a bonus check and all you hear so far is a cricket, 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 nothing. I mean, I could go on and on with examples like these. How often are we in a funk because somebody didn't give us what we think we deserve or what we need from them? So what we learn from Paul is that Paul didn't waste a lot of time ruminating on disappointments like that. Paul didn't hold the Philippians accountable for their lapse in giving. He just kept thanking God for what God provided. So the lesson I want to learn is that I've got to stop focusing on those who aren't giving me what I need. Now, Sue is about to tell you about a second group of friends not to focus on. Secondly, those who are getting what I don't have. Those who are getting what I don't have. Don't you just love social media? Because that's where we go to discover what others are getting that we don't have. And we immediately compare and covet, right? Our friends are getting that fabulous vacation that we don't have. And there they post their, their family picture on a beach. And everybody's smiling, at least for the camera. And, of course, it's the hired nanny who's taking the picture. And we don't have that. Our friends are posting pictures of their backyard pool. And we don't have that. They post selfies of fun times with their BFFs, and we don't have as many fun times or as many BFFs, right? They post pictures of motorcycle trips and new puppies, wedding parties and sports team victories and lots of wonderful stuff they're experiencing that we don't. They post pregnant belly shots. And we wish we had a pregnant belly. Those of you who have experienced infertility or miscarriages, as our one daughter has experienced in the last year and a half, you understand how it feels when it seems all of those around you are pregnant or having babies, and you are not. It is painful, and others are getting what you don't have. For me, I watch a lot of my peers enjoy their kids and grandkids that are local to them, and I ache to be near mine. I know some of you are thinking, well, I could stand a little more distance, <laughs> but... You know, Jim and I have two grandkids that are 2,000 miles away and two that are 4,000 miles away, and we miss out on a lot of holidays and birthdays and backyard fun, and we're checking Instagram constantly, you know, in case they post a picture so we can feel in touch. My friends, if we stew about what we don't have that others are getting, we become sour people. But if we look for the good and say, okay, God, what can I thank you for? That's a game changer. What can I thank you for? This past weekend, we were heading out the door, and the FaceTime phone call came from my grandson, Winston. He's three and a half. And it was bedtime in England, and Winston didn't want to watch Shrek with his older sister. He wanted Grandma to read the little blue truck to him. 
I'm telling you what, I dropped everything. I ran to the basement. I found that book. I ran upstairs, and I, you know, where I have good reception, I turned the camera around, and Winston and I savored every page of the little blue truck. And then he was done. That was it. And I had a really full weekend, but I'm telling you what, that was the highlight of my weekend. So I say thank you, God, for FaceTime. Thank you, God, for Winston that he thought of me. Thank you, God, for the little blue truck who lent a helping hand and the big green toad that saved the day, right? Thank you, God, for Amazon Prime. Even in the UK, I can get Legos there tomorrow. Thank you, God, for, you know, the energy I have to be with other people around me and minister to them when my family's far away. Thank you, God, for promises in your word. Psalm 139 says that even if our kids rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea or country or wherever they are, your hand guides them and your right hand holds them fast. Thank you, God, that you are with them. When we make a habit of thanking God, regardless of the friends who aren't giving us what we need, Regardless of the friends who are getting what we don't have, our thanksgiving leads to contentment and joy. Number two, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my circumstances, if I'll practice thanking God regardless of my present circumstances, I will experience contentment. Have you ever told yourself, I'm going to become a more thankful person, right? When we set goals like that for ourselves, we're usually thinking in terms of, you know, observing and noticing what good is going on around us and expressing gratitude for that, right? So thank you, God, for that promotion at work. Thank you, God, for the fun time at prom. Thank you, God, for the sunny day. All three of them this spring. <laughs> thank you, God, for that peel to reveal 30% off at Kohl's. Thank you for the Cubs. Getting back on track after a slow start this spring. Threw that one in for Jim. <laughs> Thankful people notice the good things and take a moment to express the gratitude for them. But I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul takes giving thanks to a whole new level. Paul coaches us to give thanks regardless of our circumstances regardless of the circumstances, whether they are good or bad. So if our present circumstances are bad, we don't wait for them to turn good in order to give thanks. We find something to thank God for right now. Okay, so back to Philippians 4. I want you to pick it up with me at verse 11, okay? Middle of verse 11. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul was content in good circumstances because he was a thanker. But Paul was also content in bad circumstances because he was a thanker. Okay, and when, when I say bad circumstances, oh my goodness, Paul knew bad. All right, you've already learned he spent time in jail. He also spent time on the open sea after being put through a shipwreck. He spent time on dangerous first century roads in danger from robbers and 
uh, wild animals and so on. Paul experienced beating, multiple beatings for preaching the good news about Jesus. Floggings, stonings. One time they thought they'd stoned him to death. He experienced day after day of going without food, going without sleep. Paul knew bad, but he still found something to thank God for in those circumstances. Uh, after the first week of this series, the more I thank, the better I feel. I got a, a letter, an email from a woman who belongs to our congregation out in DeKalb. And uh, she was writing to tell me about her own gratitude journey. And she said, you know, it began for me back in 2011 when I read Ann Voskamp's book, A Thousand Gifts. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's one of my favorite, all-time favorite books. Uh, Ann is a young farmer's wife uh, living up in Canada. She's also a very creative mom of a pretty big brood, and she is a very insightful blogger. So she writes this book, and in the book she coaches us how to pick up a journal, an empty journal, and begin giving thanks by, at the end of every day, writing down three things to thank God for. So end of every day, write down three things, and if you do that consistently over a year's time, three times 365 is more than a thousand, which is why she titles her book, A Thousand Gifts. So this woman in DeKalb, she decided to do that, to begin keeping a gratitude journal and to write in it every day. And so for the first time in her life, she not only started saying thank you for the good things, she, she also started giving thanks in mundane circumstances. She started saying, thank you, God, for the laundry, because the laundry means I got loved ones living under my roof who I get to do this for, and it means I can afford a washer and dryer. Thank you, God. And she thanked God for grocery shopping because it means I got money to buy food. A lot of people don't have food. Because thank you for the groceries means I get to cook a delicious meal, something I enjoy doing. And the more this woman thanked God, regardless of her circumstances, the easier it became. And soon she was writing down not just three things a day. Some days it was four or five or six or more. And then she discovered that she could thank God not just in good circumstances and in mundane circumstances, but in bad circumstances. Like when her nephew died. And she found herself writing in her journal, thank you God for the wonderful cousin he was to my kids. Thank you God that my my sister, who was grieving hard and angry with you, that she opened up and she let me pray for, for her. And when this woman herself, when she went through some deep waters medically, some uh, problems, she, she wrote, thank you, God, for doctors and thank you for medicine and thank you for the strength to make it through another day. And she concluded her email by telling me that after a, a year of giving thanks in her journal, a thousand gifts, she decided to stick with her daily gratitude journal, which she's still continue, continuing to fill out. She's up to 13,168 thank you entries. And she says it has dramatically changed her life. Wow. Gratitude in the present, okay, which, which means regardless of the circumstances. Number three, gratitude in the present regardless of my personality. So if I'll practice thanking God regardless of my personality, I will experience contentment. Have you ever known someone who, who was irrepressibly happy? I mean, they're, they're not just a glass half full. They're like a glass three quarters full person. They've always got a smile on their face. They drive the rest of us crazy, right? 
So the story's told, and I've told this story numerous times, but it's one of my favorites, so I'll bore you with it again. Story's told of a little boy who was irrepressibly happy, and his dad was worried about it because he felt like his boy wasn't living in the real world, so he needed to bring him back to earth. So his son's birthday was coming up, and the dad went out to a local horse farm, and he scooped up some horse apples, some manure, put it in a box, and gift-wrapped it for his son. This is not a recommended parenting thing to do, all right? So, but the dad is thinking, this will bring him down to earth. This will show him that not everything in life is pleasant. So the little boy opens on his birthday, he opens the gift wrap package, and the first thing out of his mouth is, yes! And the dad says, what do you mean, yes? Those are horse apples. And the boy says, so there's got to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> so we're, we're talking irrepressibly happy. It's your natural disposition. It's your personality, right? Your personality. What if that's not my personality? What if that's not your personality? Okay, can, can we use that as an excuse for not being content? Let me introduce you to the queen of personality tests. I do, I do love personality tests. I have learned so much about people, and I think it's so important to be self-aware and compassionate with each other. But anyway, um, the four personality tests, it's got the animals or the colors, you know, the, the lion, the otter, the beaver, the golden retriever, which one are you? Well, I have graduated from four personalities to nine. Have you heard of the Enneagram? It's nine personalities, nine ways to view the world. So I've been reflecting on that, and I thought, you know, it occurred to me, each of these nine life perspectives could be used as an excuse not to be content. Because there's something about each one of them that could thwart a person's inclination to be happy. Let me explain, and because it's Mother's Day, you know, I'll describe these as moms each with a different personality type. Well, type one personality with the Enneagram is called the perfectionist. The perfectionist mom, and she is hardworking, and she is organized, and she does things with excellence. She loves Ikea, you know, all the bins and baskets and files. And this mom, though, can be her own worst enemy because what does she see? She sees the toys on the floor and the dishes in the sink and the laundry and the unmade beds and the crayon marks on the wall. And she says, I can't be content. It's not my personality. The inner critic won't let me. How about the type six personality, for example? She's called the loyalist, the loyalist. Well, this mom is reliable and responsible and vigilant. She also needs to feel secure and in control. So she will volunteer for the school field trips to make sure her kids are safe, right? Sometimes this anxious mom can suffer from what we have been, what's been called pre-traumatic stress disorder, right? And she says, I can't be content. I gotta worry about my kids and what could happen to them. How about the type seven personality labeled by the Enneagram as the enthusiast? The enthusiast mom, exclamation point. I mean, this mom is optimistic and spontaneous and playful. She signs up for the field trips. You know, she plans family vacations and fun outings and girlfriend getaways. But she can also become addicted to being happy and staying away from boredom or from pain. And she says, I can't be content in the present because I'm wired to look for the next fun thing. 
One last one, the type eight personality, the challenger. The challenger mom, now she is confident and strong, decisive and resourceful. And she makes things happen. She lets the soccer coach know that her son will be starting, you know, and she's got her daughter filling out 14 college applications. And this mom says, I can't be content because my kids need me to push, 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 right? Well, whether you're a mom or not, have you ever used your personality as an excuse as to why you're not as content as other people, as joy-filled or optimistic? The Apostle Paul would say, contentment is not a personality trait. It's not a personality trait. It's a learned trait. It's a learned trait. Let's go back to Philippians 4. Look at the last half of verse 11. Paul writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Circle that word learned in your Bible. Now drop down to the next verse. Look at the second half of verse 12. I have, what does it say? Learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What is the secret that Paul has learned about being content? The secret is the theme of this New Testament epistle of Philippians. The secret is the theme of this series that we're concluding today. The secret is giving thanks. The secret to contentment is the more I think, the better I feel. Giving thanks is something that we learn to do. We learn to do it. And how do we learn to do anything? By doing it again and again and again. Repetition. We learn to cook by fixing meal after meal. We learn to run a marathon by running day after day and mile after mile. We learn how to play the piano by practicing scale after scale. We learn how to hit a baseball by going to the batting cage and taking swing after swing. And we learn how to be content by saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So what do we say? Thank you. Good. Regardless of my personality. So even if you don't know what you are on what I call the enemagram, <laughs> different people have varying levels of appreciation for these tools. Even if you don't know your personality, that's not an excuse. You say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Number four, regardless of my strength, regardless of my strength. We're going to go to Philippians 4 one last time and take a look at one of the most misapplied verses in the entire Bible. Okay, one of the mis most misapplied verses in the entire Bible, it's verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I want you to say that with me. Let's go. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, we put that on t-shirts and wall plaques and I'll never forget uh, watching a post-game interview with a quarterback. It was uh, January, it was an NFL playoff game, and this quarterback had just pulled off a miraculous come-from-behind victory, the closing minutes of the game. And so the, the reporter, the interviewer, wanted to know, how did you do this? How did you stay so calm? I mean, how could you uh, remain in the pocket while the clock is ticking and the defenders are breathing down your neck and throw one pass after another? And this quarterback just so happened to be a Christ follower. 
And so he gave credit to Jesus, and then he quoted Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I thought, well, I'm glad he drew attention to Jesus and to the Bible, but I wish he wouldn't misuse, misapply Philippians 4.13. And then I thought to myself, but you know, I've done my fair amount of misapplying Philippians 4.13, ripping it out of its appropriate context. In fact, uh, one of the stories relates to Mother's Day because my wife was in labor with our first child at the time. So she was giving birth to Emily, and she, she had been in labor for 18 hours at Del Nor Hospital. And the nurse came in, and she said, well, you're not quite fully dilated, but here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a half an hour to see if you could push this baby out, and if it you know, doesn't come out, then we're going to have to prep you for a C-section. And I knew Sue didn't want a C-section, and so the nurse left the room, and I said to her, baby, we could do it. We got 30 minutes, okay? <laughs> we, we can do it, you know? Yes, yeah. And so Sue leaned up and grabbed her knees, and I put my hand in the small of her back, and I began to chant, and I'm not making this up. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. We can do. We can do all this. Oh, gosh. When, when the apostle Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, What's he referring to? Is Paul talking about supernatural strength to win football games? No. Is Paul talking about supernatural strength to pop out babies? No. What is the context of Philippians 4.13? What has Paul been talking about? Giving thanks. Giving thanks thanks in the present regardless of friends regardless of circumstances regardless of our personality in other words don't miss this giving thanks is not something we can do in our own efforts paul's telling us we need supernatural strength to pull it off we could do this through him who gives us strength we can do this with the help of jesus christ And so if you leave here today determined to be a more thankful person, if you walk away from this three-week series going, yeah, this is what I got to do, but the development of this new habit depends entirely on you, your gratitude resolution won't last a week. So let me explain to you why we need Jesus to do this, why we need Jesus to pull this off. Okay, the, the Bible says that we're all sinners. This is no startling revelation, right? It's not flattering, but Romans 3, verse 23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And one of the manifestations of our sinfulness is our chronic ingratitude. That we fail to give God thanks for all the blessings in our lives. When we do get them, we, we tend to, to behave as if we deserve them anyway. When we don't get them, we let God know he's not doing his job. God says be thankful, and we go the opposite direction. And this disconnection from God, because God is the giver of life, creates a huge problem. I mean, the consequence of going your way instead of God's way and disconnecting from the source of life, the consequence is death. The wages of sin is death, so says Romans 6, verse 23, which means spiritual death, which, which is on the inside. It's a broken relationship with God. That's what our sin does to us. And it, it results in physical death in this world at the end of our lives. It results in eternal death if the problem isn't remedied. 
So God decides to take on the remedy himself, to provide the solution. God sends his son, Jesus, to come to planet Earth. And after living a perfect life, Jesus lays down his life of infinite worth on the cross in order, listen, in order to take the penalty for our sins, in order to die the death we deserve to die. And so he dies for our ingratitude, and he dies for our pride and our materialism and our lust and our anger and our you name it. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead and now in the power of his risen strength, he can give you forgiveness. He can give you new life. He can make you into a brand new person. All it takes is for you to surrender to him. He will do this for anyone who surrenders to him. Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? Because when you do, one of the things that will change is that you will become a thanker. It's almost unavoidable. Okay, for a couple of reasons this happens. Reason number one is you're just overwhelmed by the grace of God that he would do all this for me. Oh, my goodness. That he would lay aside his glory in heaven and he would live a life on this planet and die on a cross to take the death my sins deserve. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, thank you. Thank you. That's where the thanksgiving begins. But the second reason you'll become a thanker or should become a thanker is because when you surrender, when you finally really do it, you genuinely surrender your life to Jesus, he promises to come to live on the inside by his spirit. And when when that happens, he begins to produce in you his character. So it's no longer dependent on your strength to be a nicer person. He begins to produce that niceness in you, his character in you, which includes gratitude. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, hopefully you're seeing, not overnight, but hopefully you're you're yielding yourself to him every day. You're waking up in the morning and saying, thank you for giving your life on the cross for me, and thank you for coming to live on the inside. Make me more like you today. And if you've never surrendered to Christ, today's the day you ought to do it. Let's bow in a word of prayer, okay? Would you pray with me? In just a moment, we're going to sing a final song giving thanks and praise to God for the way he's blessed our lives. But as we bow before God across our four campuses, many people watching online right now, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender to Christ. And this takes a deliberate, conscious decision on your part. It doesn't doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because you, you happen to come to church today or tune in our podcast. It happens because you right now pray something like this from your heart. Every surrender prayer has at least three important words to it. The first word is sorry. Your surrender prayer begins when you're truly, genuinely sorry for your sin. When you look at your sin and you say, ah, my sin not only separated me from a holy God, but my sin required Jesus, God's son, to die on the cross. Can you say, sorry, God, sorry. Start with the gratitude thing. Sorry, God, for my lack of gratefulness. Sorry that so many days go by and I never think to thank you. You could throw in all the other stuff as well. I am so sorry for my greed. I'm so sorry for my selfishness. I'm so sorry for the gossip and angry words that come out of my mouth. I'm so sorry for the filthy thoughts when I'm looking at stuff that I shouldn't be looking at. You know, what are you sorry for? What, What can you say, God, 
thank you for sending Jesus, but I'm sorry that he had to come to do that for me. The second word is thanks, of course, thanks. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry, but thank you. Thank you, for do- thank you for laying aside the glory of heaven. He wants to hear it from your lips, from your heart right now. It's not enough to recognize that he did this for the world. He did it for you. And nothing changes in your life until the day you say, thank you for doing it for me. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for taking the punishment my sins deserve. Thank you for your offer of forgiveness. Thank you for the new life that you promise if I'll surrender my life to you. The third word is please. Sorry, thanks, and then please. Please come into my life. Please do what Pastor Jim suggested you'll do if I'll open up the door of my heart and say, welcome. You'll begin to produce your character in me. That's what I want. Please show me what it means to be more like you. Show me what it means to follow you. You know, the Bible says that Jesus stands, as it were, at the door of our hearts knocking, and he's waiting for us to open up. There's a door handle on the inside. He will not push in the door. He only comes in if you say, please come in. Will this Mother's Day 2019 be the day you say, please come in? Please come in. Become the Savior and the King, the new leader of my life. And if you're already a Christ follower, if you've made that decision, if you've opened the door, then I want you to take a good look at your life and say, am I a thankful person? Do I tend to ignore the priority of thanksgiving? Am I even in the camp of the cranky? And God, I don't want to be that way. With all that Jesus has done for me, I want to be a grateful person. And I want it escaping my lips many times a day. If it takes a journal to remind me at the end of every day to write down three things, God, make me more like Jesus. Make me a grateful person. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.